Now, at New City, uh, we always have people that we would call explorers. Uh, an explorer is someone who's not a Christian, but who's someone who's at least mildly curious about Jesus and the church. Now, most explorers generally like Jesus. They like his teaching. Uh, they like his message of forgiveness. They like his honesty, authenticity. They, they like generally, most explorers like what Jesus stands for. But when Christians start talking about Jesus Christ coming back to make the world perfect all over, perfect and beautiful all over again, explorers kind of tend to begin to wonder, hey, hey is this for real? Is it even possible that Jesus is going to come back? You know, what does that really mean? And, and there's a rational and intelligent part of us that, that may well kind of reject that, that idea. And I, I understand that uh, skepticism. We are right now at New City in a sermon series, which is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to take a minute to, to address the skepticism uh, you as an explorer might experience when we talk about Jesus Christ coming back. And I'll do that first before I actually get into the talk or the sermon for this morning. And I want to address your skepticism by, by taking the example of Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk is probably the most visionary entrepreneur in the world today. He kind of made electric cars drop. Tesla, the brand that he created, it's kind of just changed the world with electric cars. But, but Musk has gone far beyond cars. What Musk is excited about these days is his dream to, to colonize the red planet Mars. Let me, let me quote him here. This is what Elon Musk says. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And I can't think of anything more exciting than going out there and being among the stars. That's Elon Musk for you. I can't think of anything more exciting than going out there and being among the stars. Now Musk, most of us will know, has built a full-fledged business on space travel and his dream of colonizing Mars. Now, hey, most people don't ridicule Elon Musk. They're inspired by him. Isn't that true? We don't make fun of him. We don't mock him for his dreams. We don't mock him for his this, this grand vision he has, we're inspired by him. And let me, let me invite us to think about this for a moment. When Elon Musk says that there is nothing more exciting than being in the stars, is that merely a scientific dream? Or is it the longing of the human soul to go beyond this world and touch something that's greater, Touch something that's better. Touch something that is perhaps eternal. You see, what Elon Musk believes, you see, when Elon Musk, what Elon Musk believes, that he needs to go to the stars to find, Christians believe, will come down from heaven. 
this idea of of reaching the stars this this idea of human beings not being constrained by anything but living in love and peace living to their fullest potential this is what jesus promised us us he will do when he comes back again when jesus comes back those of us who believe in him will be transformed into glorious beings just like himself that we could reach for the stars in a moment if we so desire so if we don't mock elon musk's scientific dream perhaps we shouldn't mock uh, the the spiritual dreams that followers of jesus have you know the two are not all that different elon musk's scientific dreams and 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 vision and and those of us who are followers of Jesus are spiritual dreams and hopes and so whether it finds scientific expression or whether it finds spiritual expression we are all deeply longing for a profoundly transcendental experience that is beyond what our soul and senses can comprehend you know must is chasing that you know from a scientific perspective but beneath the science is a soul longing to touch something that is eternal his soul longing for a transcendental experience beyond the world that we find ourselves in isn't that what christians also hope for when they say christ is going to come back again and make this world beautiful and perfect all over again so the two are not all that different and so this morning if you're an explorer i hope you're as uh, open uh, to a spiritual exploration as you are uh, to a scientific exploration you've taken time to be here we want to respect that which is why i really wanted to uh, address this uh, before we we get into what you might say is christian talk right let's do some of that uh, i want to dive straight into the passage uh and the passage from the bible that we're going to be looking at where the sermon series on a book called the first thessalonians which is in the, in the new testament this is paul a wonderful uh, disciple of jesus writing this letter to a church that was in uh, thessalonica and uh, i'm going to uh, bring that passage up for on the screen and one of us can volunteer to read that passage out for us uh that'll be great please remember to unmute yourself as you read just give me a minute and uh, the passage is going to come up right on screen if you see two me's on the screen don't get uh, too uh, confused that just for sharing the screen there you are yeah someone can read that out now brothers and sisters about times and dates we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief you are children of the light and children of the day we do not belong to the night or to the darkness so then let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate 
and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Uh, do I continue on it? Yes, and the last till verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joshua. Let me go back in a minute. Wait. This is... Hang on. Sorry about that. This is the passage we're going to be uh, looking at this morning. I wanted to draw out just two things for us from this passage. First, the great calling. And second, the great assurance. The great calling and the great assurance. Let me start with the great calling. Generally, uh, when we think about preparing for Christ Jesus to come again, that's what this passage is all about. That's what this sermon series is all about, waiting well. When we think about preparing for Christ Jesus to come again, we are mostly thinking about ourselves. Um, We're thinking, I need to really enjoy walking in line with the truth of the gospel. I need to grow in my devotion to Jesus. I need to be uh, growing in my prayer. Uh, I need to really learn to read and meditate on the Bible more. Uh, I need to be more generous. And I guess we all also have Uh, sin patterns, and as we wait for Jesus to come again, we're also trying, in God's grace, to overcome these sin sin patterns. And so we generally tend to think of waiting for Christ to come back again, mostly as an individual pursuit. Each of us are preparing ourselves for Christ to come again. And that's really the perspective with which we've seen things. That's the general drift. But in this passage, Paul is giving us a totally different spin on this. And that's the verse I've highlighted in in green, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're doing. So Paul is calling us to encourage one another and build each other up as we are waiting for Christ Jesus to come again. And this is what I mean by the great calling. This great calling is not only to think about ourselves, but to also encourage and build one another up in anticipation of Jesus Christ coming back again. This is the great calling. I've jumped straight into the heart of today's sermon. This is the big truth. This is the big idea that I would really like to dwell on today. Each of us, every single one of us, has a God-given responsibility to encourage and build one other up. It doesn't matter if you're a new believer or an old believer. It doesn't matter if you're a strong believer within courts and, and a weak believer within courts. It doesn't matter if you're a good believer within courts or if you're a bad believer within course, we are all called to encourage and build each other up. And this is how we are to live life, waiting well for Christ Jesus to come back again, by, by encouraging 
and, and building each other up. Let me be very clear here in terms of what this, what this, what this means. I'm just going to use the whiteboard here for a, uh, for a minute. What this building each other up does not mean, it does not mean uh, one to many building up. This does not mean that the pastor or a few pastors or a few elders, uh, one to many, uh, one person is building many people up. That's not at all what this passage is saying. Now, I'm not running away from the responsibility that I have uh, as a pastor, as Felix has, as a, as, a, as a pastor. We're not running away from the responsibility. Uh, there is a place for this in the Bible, uh, but this is not everything. And this passage is not talking about a one to many. This passage is also not talking about a one-to-one. The Bible calls this discipleship. Paul discipled Timothy. If this is a one-to-one relationship. Uh, Again, there is a place for this in the Bible. We believe this to be true. But this is not, this this passage is not talking about this as well. This is one-to-one. What this passage is talking about is a many to many relationship. This means many people, which means not, it's actually not, not just many people, it's actually all of us, all of us, and each of us building each other up. So you're building me, I'm building you, you're building somebody else, somebody else is building you. And so this is the many to many kind of a relationship, many to many kind of an encouraging one another and, and building one another that the Bible is, 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 talking, is talking about. Let me move back. And that's what I want us to uh, really consider today. The Bible calls this the priesthood of all believers. How many of us have really considered not just encouraging but building one another up to be a vital part of waiting well. A vital part of waiting at well. This is really the only thing I'm going to be focusing on this sermon. Building each other up. It is that important. Let's talk practically. How do we build each other up? What does that really look like? What does it mean in, in, in real life? There are probably two ways we can encourage and build each other up. The first is through the normal flow of our life. You know, we go about doing our life, living our life, and others are built up and encouraged by the way we live our lives. And the second is we actually and intentionally step out to serve them. I'm getting this right from the passage. Look at verse 8. Let me read that out for us. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Faith, love, hope. Does that sound familiar? If you remember from the earlier part of the sermon series, the very first chapter of this book in Thessalonians, Paul is talking, he was really dwelling on these three things. We call them the gospel tribe. Faith, hope, love. And you may recollect from the earlier sermons that faith involves turning, turning away from something to turning to God. That is faith. You you may remember that hope 
involves waiting. We wait for Christ to come back to make the world perfect again. And you may remember that love involves serving. And the way we, we encourage and build each other up in the normal flow of our daily lives is when people around us see how we are turning. When people see you turn away from something and to God, they are encouraged and built up in their faith. When it, 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 it just happens, you, you don't have to do anything. You just need to turn to God in faith and people around you as they see that they will be encouraged and built up in their faith. For example, when a new follower of Jesus stops to only save and spend all his money and he or she begins to give generously, as everybody else sees the transformation in him or her, they want to be encouraged and be built up in their faith. That's turning. How our turning is building others up. And there's also our waiting. How our waiting is building others up. To use another example, when someone who's, who's single and has so many opportunities to hook up or, or get married to someone who's not a follower of Jesus, when he or she chooses instead to wait on God to bring a person into his or her life who is also uh, uh, passionately believing in Jesus as much as him or when we see uh, someone who's single waiting in that hope and waiting steadfast in that hope, waiting in the power of the gospel in that hope, enjoying the love of Jesus, interesting in the love of Jesus as they wait for a human spouse. When we see that, we are encouraged and built up in our faith. This is how we encourage and build each other up in our waiting. And those are the first two aspects of the gospel trial. We turn in faith and we wait in hope. The third aspect of the gospel trial is that we serve in love. Serving is a lot more active. This is not just in the normal flow of our life, but serving in love involves loving the rhythms of our lives to be upset and disrupted for us to be inconvenienced as we intentionally love and serve one another. So what does this kind of serving in love involve? How can we encourage and build one another up actively and intentionally? I'm going to keep this part extremely, extremely practical. I want us to see and and touch and feel what this really looks like. And and I think I'm going to speak uh, straight into the heart of us as a community here. You know, real gospel loving and serving involves hanging out a lot. It involves having fun. It involves playing out, playing games. It involves all of that. But it, it shouldn't stop real gospel encouraging and building each other up must also involve asking each other some hard questions. It must also involve walking in love and truth both together with each other. You know, for example, if you know a close friend in church who who got totally drunk last night, I hope nobody did that. (laughs) Uh, If you know someone who got totally drunk last night, 
Are you going to just laugh about it? Or are we going to ask that person some, some hard questions in love? Hey, bro, do you, do you really think that was okay? Does the gospel give us the freedom to, to get drunk? You know, what's the difference between enjoying something responsibly and, and being irresponsible or ungodly uh, in that? What's the difference? What, what do you think? How should we be living as, as followers of, of, of Jesus? Do we love our friends enough to ask those hard questions? Do we believe in the gospel enough to ask those hard questions? Or if you see a friend really crushing on someone who's not a follower of Jesus, or if you see two friends kind of flirting each other with each other, you know neither of them is serious. Are we just going to laugh about it? Or are we going to have a, a quiet and a, and a loving conversation? Now, encouraging and loving one another absolutely involves hanging out a lot. Absolutely it involves that. It lives involves living life together. You know, we've been seeing how to share that. We're called to joy. It involves laughing together. It, it involves being crazy together. It involves all of that. But it also involves reading the Bible together and, and, and praying together and talking about our struggles, our sins and temptations with one another. We do need to do those as well. I want us to take just a moment by yourselves, just, just between, this is just your time alone. Would you take a moment to, to assess your friendships in, in church? Would you take a moment to kind of assess uh, your friendships in, in church? You know, there are two ways we don't build each other well. Uh, two ways in which we fail to build each other. The first way we, we fail to build each other up is by the moment you see someone, you, you put on your religious hat and, and start quoting Bible verses to Your conversation is only Bible verses, you know, and, and you turn church into a religious nightmare. I mean, the people, when people see you, they just run away. And, you know, that, that's, that's not how we build each other up. Clearly, that's wrong. Hey, we, we know that. We get that. Uh, we, we fail to believe it up like that. On the other hand, if, if we are the other extreme, is if you're only kind of hanging out together and laughing and, and, and hey, isn't that at one level just being superficial in our relationship? That's great. I mean, I've been so blessed by the times we hung out and had fun together. But, but don't we want to go deeper? I mean, what a soul companionship. What, what is, how are we brothers and sisters in Christ? And so, so those are two wrong ways, two ways which we fail building each other up. And, and the way we build each other up genuinely and truly is by having fun, by laughing, by doing life together and enjoying the depth of the gospel and God's word and God's community together. So, I do want us to uh, take a moment to uh, just assess uh, how we are doing in our friendships in church. And I'm guessing that even as we are sharing this, even as we are thinking about this, I'm guessing some of us are feeling scared. I'm guessing some of us are feeling uncomfortable. Some of us are saying, hey, I'm not ready for this man. 
for some of us, it's almost a moment of saying, when I believed in Jesus, I didn't sign up for any of this stuff. You know, and some of us are actually thinking like that. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to, to think about why do we feel like that? Why are we hesitant? Uh, and I think there are two broad reasons. First, we're afraid. We're afraid that if we kind of take that step of building each other up. See, again, let me be clear. The posture is not, I'm better, I'm going to build you up. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is building each other up. We all need each other, building each other up. Let's keep that in mind as well. So even in that, there's fear. What if, I, uh, what if I'm caught short? Well, I don't feel equipped to do this. What if I'm caught short? What, what if they, whoever I reach out to help and build together, what if they reject me? What if they push me away? Uh, am, I, am I good enough? Right? That's the first reason we don't do this, fear. The second reason is indifference. We're just too busy, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me, all of us. We're just too busy building our lives up, building ourselves up to, to even care about building somebody else. That's true, that's real. That's ugly, but it's real. We are indifferent. Every single one of us, myself first, at one level or the other. You know, if you're a new believer, if you're not, if you're, you know, if you would describe yourself as a weak believer, weak between within quotes, or if you're not uh, not a strong believer, strong within within quotes, um, you might be really wrestling with these struggles. I, I want to say, hey, I experience these struggles too. Uh, I may be the pastor, but I experience these struggles. I experience this fear. I experience uh, indifference. You know, when, when people don't really respond well, uh, you know, I might kind of follow up with someone for something for a couple of times, encourage them a couple of times. Uh, but if, if I kind of sense that they're kind of becoming defensive or kind of, you know, not really responding, but getting the vibes that they, they're kind of thinking, who are you to tell me all this? I'm going to be afraid. And I experience fear and I just back off. And sometimes that fear might actually lead to indifference. You know, I've tried a couple of times, but he's not responding. It's his problem, right? Or her problem. Um, or sometimes I'm just plain indifferent. I'm just too caught up with my own comforts, my own whatever. So, so it's real for all of us. But this passage is, is really challenging me. It, it's really, I've been wrestling with this for about a week now. And it's really helping me see waiting well in a completely new light. Building each other up. Not just encouraging. See, encouraging is easier. You know, you can just pick up the phone, encourage, and get on with your life. Building each other up is not easy. It's, it's hard. But God gives us grace. And he's called us to do it. Is an integral. Building each other up is an integral part for waiting for Christ Jesus to come back again. At this point, I, I would imagine that many of us are feeling, hey, I agree with you. Right? You, you've shown this to me from the Bible. You, you kind of laid your case out. I'm with you on this. No, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. But I just don't feel I have the power to do this. And can you, can you please show me how I can grow in this? And that's what I want, to, uh, I want to close with. And that's the second thing I want to draw from this passage. The great assurance. The great assurance. In this passage, 
before Paul lays out a great calling, he first unpacks the great assurance we enjoy. Look at the passage, verses 1 to 5. Paul is reminding that nobody knows when Christ is going to come back. But he reminds us that we are children of the light, we are children of God, and we will not be surprised when Christ comes back. That's from verses 1 to 5. Paul is not saying we will know when Christ comes back. The Bible is clear. Nobody knows when Christ is going to come back. But Paul is saying we will not be surprised when Christ comes back. He's going to come like a thief in the night. But as followers of Jesus, when he comes, oh gosh, Jesus, you've come already. That's not how we're going to feel. We're going to feel, Jesus, you've come back. The love, the lover of our soul, our bridegroom has come back. We're going to be filled with joy and delight and not fear and shock when Christ comes back again. That is who we are. We are his bride. That's verses 1 to 5. And then verses 9 to 10. Let me read that out for us. Paul is inviting us to enjoy the, enjoy the great assurance. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus. Verse 10. He died for us so that when, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. You see, it is only after reminding us of the great assurance that Paul goes on to lay out the great calling, verse 11. Therefore, because you have the great assurance, enjoy, uh, build, encourage one another and build each other up. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is bringing to our memory who we really are. In order to inspire us to build each other up, Paul is calling to memory. He's calling to our memory that we are loved and accepted and made perfect in Christ Jesus. In order to inspire us to build each other up, Paul is bringing to remembrance who we really are. We are children of God. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are chosen in him. We are chosen in before the foundation of the world. We are God's treasure. Yes, we may be weak and we may occasionally be ashamed of our own sins and failings, but Christ has wiped out all of those. You're not appointed for wrath. You're appointed to enjoy God's salvation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is telling us. Paul is reminding us that the great assurance is what is going to empower us for the great calling. You know, Paul could have brought condemnation. When he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica, you know, as a pastor, I'm really tempted to do that quite often. It comes naturally, not just to me, to all of us, I'm sure, because that's how we treat children as well. He could have brought condemnation. He could have said, you failed miserably in building each other up. You've been a Christian for 10 years. You really suck. Christ is coming back. Better get your act together. That's not what Paul's doing here. Or Paul could have brought, used shame and guilt. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? You've gone through so many seminars, so many conferences, so much has been invested in you, and you've not even built one person up. Or Paul could have said, look at you, you can't even wake up in time to get dressed for the Zoom service. How are we going to build anyone up? No, Paul's not doing that. That's not what Paul's doing. On the contrary, Paul is taking us back as weak as we are, as messed up as we are, as, as, as much as we fail and sin, Paul is taking us back to the great joy, 
hope, blessing, and the great assurance of our salvation, he's taking us back there, back to the gospel, back to Jesus loving us, dying for us on the cross, rising up from, from the dead, and living forever to intercede for us. He's taking us back there. He's saying, I want you to go there. I want, you, I, want to go, I want you to go back to the great assurance of salvation in Christ because it is there that you're going to find the power to live out the great calling. Let's think about this for just one minute. How does going back to the great assurance of salvation, how does that empower us for the great calling? How does it empower us? What's really happening here? It's a simple answer, really. Who we really are will really shape how we respond to life. Who we really are will ultimately and absolutely shape how we respond to life. You know, as I was preparing for the sermon, I was reminded of firefighters. Um, whenever there is a fire, everyone runs Run, runs away from the fire. But firefighters, they are the only ones who are running to the fire. This is the moment they've been training for. This is the moment they've been waiting for. At the first news of a fire, they rush with alarms blaring toward the fire. This is who they are. They are firefighters. They run to the fire to put it out. Who they are is shaping their response to the fire. Who we really are, who we believe we are, is going to shape our response to life. We are children of God. That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, you are children of God. We are children of God. And therefore, we build each other up, just as Christ built us up. We are children of God. Therefore, we go reaching out for the lost just as Christ came reaching out to us when we were lost. Paul is saying the best way, the only way to grow in in this gospel calling, to grow in this great calling, is to grow in our enjoyment of the great assurance of salvation we have in Christ Jesus.